everyone. My name is Kat Savage and I'm a professional artist, clinical hypnotherapist and well-being expert working with those in the creative arts sector. In my line of work, I get to meet some amazing, colourful people from actors to artists, people who live their lives by their own rules, fueled by passion and determination to bring their unique talents into the world. I wanted to discover what it took for people to leave the usual nine to five and hop on a dream, to capture their bravest moments and share these meaningful conversations with you so that together we can explore the ideas, emotions and moments that could potentially change our lives too. The Brave Moment podcast begins now in the middle of the COVID pandemic, probably the bravest moment not only for my guests, but for the whole world. So let's keep talking some fun and enjoy the show. This week on the show, we speak to polymath performer Adam Moran. Adam quit his job in teaching to become a full-time singer, writer, poet and quiz master, amongst other things. Best known for his involvement in the incredibly popular Building and the Skyscrapers and original project The Club Brothers, Adam is a tour de force of creative talent, and this interview captures just a moment of his infectious personality, which I'm sure is bound to make you smile. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the bearded wonder that is Adam Moran. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to hear your voice. I feel like I haven't seen you for like a decade. It seems so long. How's your lockdown going? Um, it's going all right. It's it's going much better now that January is out of the way. You know, because <laughs> January is, is just that month, isn't it? It's, if, 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 you know, if a month was poo, January would be it. <laughs> Because, I absolutely concur. Yeah, you tell yeah. me why you think it was poo well, and then well, I'll tell you why I thought it was poo. Because A, it's everyone's, like, even on a normal year, January's rubbish because everyone's broke after Christmas. Um, they're partied out. Um, they've got a month where they've got to make, because you normally get your Christmas paychecks and stuff like earlier in December. So you've basically got six weeks to wait before a paycheck for most people in normal work. Um, <laughs> the weather's rubbish. You get about 30 <laughs> seconds of daylight a day. And, and it's just, you know what I mean? I mean it's, just, it's just the worst. <laughs> I was it's just, cold, do you know what was... Wet. Ugh. <laughs> I was feeling, because obviously we are of the uh, performance variety and well, yes, it are. was the first, I worked out, it was the first new year that I'd had like off in 20 years. That yeah. is ridiculous. I haven't. Yeah, me too. That that was and and that just blew my mind. And it was it was kind of bittersweet because I did get to spend New Year with socially distanced with my mum and dad, which was lovely. Mm. However, I was so sad that I didn't get to bring in the New Year with all the you know the band and and all my friends and all the rest of it. And that just sort of set the precedence for the year. And then obviously four days later another lockdown so yeah. I think for for creatives in general it's just been a bit rubbish hasn't it oh 100% 100% today <laughs> as we record this I can see blue sky cat I can actually Me see too. it oh, oh it's glorious <laughs> I went I went nuts yesterday in the supermarket and bought a whole heap of bird food and I've just put it all outside and I've got a whole heap of birds just fluttering around and cheeping and chirping oh, oh it's amazing. so spring like it's wonderful spring is on the way I'm very happy about this 
Me too, me too. Right, I'm going to get down to business with you now and I want to take you back in time, Adam Moran. You are now in your childhood and I'd love for you to describe your childhood room and just what it was like in the Moran household as a a child. Okay, so um, I moved around quite a bit as a child because my mum and dad were um, Salvation Army officers, which um, is a vicar but for the Salvation Army. So Salvation Army is a Christian church and, um, it's better, you know, the vicars are called, are called officers because it's the Salvation Army. So everything's like, you know, captains and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's the same as a normal church, except you get funny uniforms and you play brass instruments pretty much is, is the only <laughs> difference. And, um, back then the Salvation Army would move their officers to different, different Salvation Armies, different churches, every kind of between every three and five years. So when I was born, wow. I was born in a um, place called we- in, in Wales, a place called Tree Harris. Um, and then I moved to Swansea and then I moved to Bristol and then I moved to Devon. So it's kind of been, so my childhood rooms have changed quite a bit. At, so, at certain points in my childhood, I, I have three brothers. So at certain points in my childhood, I was sharing a room um, with a brother, usually on a bunk bed. <laughs> um, and because I was the middle child, I was always sharing with an older brother. So I was always on the bottom bunk. That's what I, you know, the, the top bunk was always claimed. Um, but it was a classic little geeky room as well. But like my my eldest brother Dean was really into as, and I've kind of taken up the mantle as the years have gone on. We were he was he's a real techie person. So all the all the new like the computers and the consoles and stuff. Like where we're talking going way back here, like way to the Commodore 64, where you used to load up video games on a tape cassette <laughs> and had to wait like 20 minutes to have to put on the tape cassette in for this, for this little the rubbishest game you've ever seen in your life to load up. <laughs> um, so my, yeah, my childhood bedroom involved a lot of um, watching my brother playing video games on in it. Um, and I remember I used to have Star Wars, um, Star Wars duvet which I loved more than anything else. I was a big Star Wars. You've still got it, haven't you? I know. I say nothing. I can neither <laughs> confirm or deny. Um, I I was obsessed with, with Star Wars, absolutely obsessed with it. So I used to have all the figures and all that stuff. And my routine would be kind of quite similar as a kid. I, I, you know, you do, you go to school during the day, your mum would make your tea, you'd watch kids TV and then, you know, you'd get, you get your bath and you get put to bed. And when I got put to bed, that was my playtime. So I'd get my, get all my little Star Wars toys out on my duvet. And I'd, you know, you know, when, you know, when you see kids doing it, that they're doing all the voices, <laughs> like, you'll never take me alive. I will. You know, and all that. I used to do that until I got tired and then I'd go to sleep. <laughs> Uh, do, do you know I find it so funny though because I used to be exactly the same however I was um, I was one of those kids like in the never ending story where I would just get a book and I'd put my duvet cover over my head with a torch oh, and read myself to, to sleep so I was kind of with you in, in that yeah. imaginative world but in someone else's world you were a 1980s Steven Spielberg movie that's what you were <laughs> As were you by the well, sound of it. That's also true. Yeah, <laughs> like George, George Lucas. Lucas. But, you know, potato, potato. <laughs> oh, I love to hear that you're a creative and imaginative child and that obviously that's held you in good stead all the way up into your uh, your life now, which is awesome. But can you remember when you were younger, obviously you were creative in your imagination, but did you know that you were a performer? Did your family know? Did they have an inkling that you might have some kind of talent? Well, so in the Salvation Army, um, when... You, when you get to the age of seven, I think it is, um, you can become what they call like a junior soldier. So very similar to like, you know, when, when 
kids get baptised and stuff like that. It's that kind of thing mm. where you basically take a load of commitments and say, I'm, I promise to be really, really good. And I promise to do <laughs> like more good things and bad things and, you know, and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and say my prayers at the night and all, and all that. And But when you did that, you were then allowed to join two things that the Salvation Army had. One was called the Singing Company, which was a little choir. Um, mm-hmm. where you'd learn nice little um, kind of gospely Christian-y songs. And another one was v- called the Young People's Band, which was a brass band. Wow. And so when I was seven, I was <laughs> I, 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 I started learning the brass instrument, which turned out to be the most useless of all the brass instruments. It's an <laughs> instrument called the tenor horn, which is basically, <laughs> you know, if you imagine a tuba, if you shrink a tube a bit, it becomes a baritone. If you shrink it again, it becomes a tenor horn. And it works in a brass band and nothing else. <laughs> so I was learning that, which when anyone, if you've ever known anyone who learns a brass instrument, when anyone starts learning a brass instrument, all it really sounds like is lots of farts. <laughs> like, uh, boom, boom, uh, uh. And so I did that and then I joined the, the choir, the singing company. But I used to get told off in the singing company because... I was meant to be singing a melody. When you first joined this choir, you were putting the sopranos and and all the sopranos had the melody. But I much preferred harmony and the altos got all the fun harmonies. So I just used (laughs) to start singing their parts instead. (laughs) And that still holds true today. Yeah, and that's it. And that genuinely, I think from a singing point of view, was the start of my kind of journey of me making decisions for me. Kind of going, well, I want to sing this part, so that's what I'm going to sing. And I prefer the harmony, so I'm going to sing the harmony. And, <laughs> and yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's so nice to hear, though, because obviously as a, as a child, most children are not encouraged unless they're in a school which has a choir and they just ho- just so happen to be in the choir. They're sort of not encouraged to listen to music in that way, are they? And they sort of discover that the harmonic section of, of a piece of music later on in life. But it's lovely to hear that from the word go, you were on those harmonies and you are a wicked harmonizer. And, it, you know, from, from anyone that's seen you perform, they, they know the, the plethora of uh, musical talent that you have. And uh, just hearing that you learned a brass instrument when you were young though I'm pretty jealous because I was one of the recorder generation oh wow I mean I mean I mean I'm not gonna lie we definitely had recorder class at school I remember it well um but I think I blocked it away until you just said that sentence and it all came flooding back in a rush of no basically recorders were like the ones of Harry Potter of today where they, they were. you were just handed one when you were like five and just told yeah. to play free it free blind mice free blind mice school. that was it yeah oh my god London's Burning oh gosh, another yes. classic so there you were quite competent then at quite a young age in in discovering music and discovering how music works what kind of music were you listening to like as you were getting older and coming into those teenage years what sort of music did you gravitate to as a consequence so weirdly enough um, and I, and, and do you know what? It's weird. This it still kind of goes to this day, really. Um, so I wasn't, unless I was in like someone's car, I didn't have a radio in my house as in, so I would, I wouldn't, but my dad had, um, a record player that then became a CD player. And then, you know, as, as technology and years went on and, and dad was the music listener really. So whenever we were on journeys, um, dad, dad, it was dad's choice and dad had, mm. shall we say an eclectic 
taste in music. <laughs> um, Give us an example. So, for example, journeys. Um, so we got to our whole family come from um, a town in um, Yorkshire called Bradford. Um, so we'd go up to Bradford at least two or three times a year to visit visit the folks, you know, the aunties and the uncles and the cousins and all that. And so that was a four hour journey. So over the years during that four hour journey, I got to listen to Bonnie Tyler's album um, <laughs> many, many, many times. Uh, the Lighthouse Family's album. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah, not the Lighthouse Family. The, the cause. <laughs> no. Now I've got a shout out for the cause because I, I I'm a bit of a core fan. I mean, they're great. <laughs> they are great. I've got I've got a big old confession with the cause as well. This is how this is how music noob I was back then. That um, you know they covered um, the Fleetwood Mac song, didn't they? Um, yeah, yeah, dreams. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea it was a cover. No idea. I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of Fleetwood Mac. I'd never heard of Fleetwood Mac song. But to be honest, that's kind of a, a good testament to the artist that's doing the cover. Because if you if you don't know it's a cover and it doesn't ring any bells, yeah. then, you know, fair play to the cause for tricking you, you know, the quiz master of music. So, yeah. uh, so I'm glad they've got one up well, on you. Well, this is the thing. And, and, and honestly, music, it's really weird. Musically, my music education didn't really, really start for me till much later on. Creatively, weirdly enough, the first thing that really took with me um, was was sketch writing and poems. Oh, uh, you're a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an odd one. Like, I, And once again, that started within, within the church. Like, um, I'd get hired to write um, sketches. So like, um, I, someone would bring me up and say, right, we're doing this meeting and the sermon's all about Jonah. Um, and so <laughs> can you write a funny sketch about Jonah and the whale and then perform it halfway through and then that'll lead into the talk. So, so and, and obviously many stories in the Bible, they're funny to be, Jonah and the whale is the ideal example. A man gets swallowed by a big fish. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's funny before <laughs> I've put pen to paper, but I found it very, very easy um, to, to, to get creative um, with, with words. So I'd write loads of sketches. Um, like, and it's really funny. One of the weirdest one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me when I was 14 years old, I woke up in the middle of the night, like literally bolt upright. And I just had an idea for two poems and mm. I got up and I wrote them both. And to this day, those are the only two poems I've ever written that I know off by heart. If you know them off by heart, you're going to obviously have to demonstrate them on the show. So uh, uh, yeah, check yeah, us yeah. one of them. Go okay. on. Okay. Okay. Let's give this a go. No, I haven't done this um, for a long time. So let's see. Um, so this, okay, I'll do the one called Sophie's House. So bearing in mind, I was 14. So this was 1995. <laughs> well, I was born in 80. Yeah, very good. 95. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote this one called Sophie. Now, bearing in mind, Kat, because you're like a, a proper poet, poet. I'm mine. <laughs> mine are more along the, the, you know, Roald Dahl's revolting rhymes type poems. Brilliant. <laughs> so let's see if I can remember this. I've, I've, I've now said I know it word for word and I've actually got a moment. So it goes like this. It goes, well, I was at my friend Sophie's house when she said to me, <laughs> it was your George Calvin Clyde number three. Well, I hadn't, you see, so I tried to have a go. My hand was on my bottle when she snatched it and said, no, do you have any idea how much this stuff costs per spray? Well, I'm no science boffin, so I simply said, no way. Well, she replied, well, I do, it's 57p. I said, well, aren't you willing to spend that much on dear old little me? 
Well, I let off that one because I spied her max factor. But when I tried to grab it, she came at me like a tractor. <laughs> it's one thing to try me spray, but not be flipping cream. But you didn't let me try a spray. Oh, you are so mean. So we started shouting, calling each other names. Looking back on it now, it was all pretty lame. So I shouted, stop. And she said, well, then I said, there's a reason why we're fighting. And the reason is men. Max Factor, <laughs> Calvin Klein, or they're all the same. If there's a problem in this world, men's the one to blame. So now we've solved our problem and we never yell because she uses impulse body spray and I use L'Oreal. <laughs> <laughs> you get the solitary clap. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> But that was unbelievable. I can't believe that you wrote that when you were 14. That's so like observational for the time. And I think it's it's time now that we actually have to hear the second one because that was too good to leave on its own. Let's hear oh, that second one. All right. Okay. Okay. So this is more, this is more a Devonian one. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, I wrote a little rhyme about me and my mate and how we almost met our fate. We were sitting on my gate one day, you know, just chewing straw. When a truck careered off the road, it gave a mighty roar. Well, I noticed this truck, you see, it was coming our way. Norman nudged me in the side. He turned and said, it's not our lucky day. Well, like I said, this big old truck, it was getting quite near. Norman turned with fear in his eyes. He looked at me and said, oh dear. It was around (laughs) about that time I suggested we moved and made it quick. And so we did. And I tell you what, it was just in the nick of time, you see, because that truck slammed our gate right through, um, collided with the tractor and went straight into the poo. (laughs) It's true. It's true. <laughs> we looked at what was happening. I thought, no flipping way. And Norman said, well, you know, it's not our lucky day, but look at him. He's definitely not done so well, you see, because that poor trucky driver didn't have a good day, you see. He'd slammed through the windscreen 40 foot up in the air. It was only as he was coming down that he realised where. Straight into a human combine harvester, human fricassee. His bits were all over my field for everyone to see. But even though he tried to kill me, I am no old miser, because that unlucky trucky make damn good fertiliser. <laughs> That is not. I mean, you're so astute. You're you're a natural comedian at 14. Well, a natural comedian. It was yeah, but weirdly enough, and, and I don't. You know, I I I do. You know, still do, dab, dabble in poetry every now and again. But that that they were the ones that were just when I was a kid. I was just like, oh, these are quite funny. Did them and, and and I performed them at loads of places over the years and stuff. And yeah, it's it's a weird. It was just a weird introduction into like the creative writing side of my my life which then yeah, yeah. kind of almost accidentally got put aside when the music stuff started taking over. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Because I, I think we've kind of followed the same trajectory when it comes to creative writing because mm. music, it's it's so accessible and it's quite freeing, isn't it, for, you, for your voice in all of its aspects, metaphorical, spiritual, physical, all the rest of it. Yeah. And you do end up sort of like writing songs, which is essentially poetry to music. Um, but, but the thing that I'm interested in, after you've just said that you sort of woke up in the middle of the night and had to write these poems down, is that's something that um, I experience quite regularly, actually, as someone who does tend to write. And, and I know that you have, have gone back into it. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But um, yeah. do you find that your inspiration just hits you at random times and you just have that kind of flow state? Or do you have to now put yourself into sort of a disciplined, uh, you know, set of rituals almost to, to get that work done? Um, best of both, I'd say, the Hovis approach. So yes, <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely get those moments where I get a flash of inspiration um, and then it's up to me 
like with what I'm doing or whatever, whether I put whatever I'm doing aside and go with that inspiration, if that makes sense. Mm. Like I've, I've, I've had countless times where I've had a flash of inspiration and then thought I'll, I'll write that down later. And then by the time I've got home, it's gone. And I've been like, oh, idiot. <laughs> um, and then I've got times where, like, like I said, I've been hired to do things and mm. therefore waiting around for creativity to hit me in the face isn't an option. So I've got to sit down and kind of get myself in that zone anyway. But I do that just by start, especially with writing stuff, just by starting writing. I think you that's know. the thing, isn't it? If you if you just sit down and even if you write the word right, then yeah. you're sort of getting over that fear of the blank page. And I always have this thing that I say to myself now, which is actually the blank page is more scared of you. <laughs> what yes. you can put on it than the other way around. And if you start to see it that way, then <laughs> it just makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? And and also to just write for the wastebasket. Whatever you write, just write it as if it's not going anywhere. And then you give yourself that freedom and, and no pressure to sort of perform. Yes. How ironic, I know. Yeah. So here you are at 14, you're writing poetry, you're taking on sketch work, you're singing harmonies in the, you know, the choir and all the rest of it. What do your family think about all of this? Did they have other plans for you? Did they think, oh, this is a passing phase of creativity? Or did they really encourage you to pursue your dream? Um, they were quite encouraging, actually. Um, <clears throat> they never kind of they, they, have, they let me make my own decisions really which is lovely of them <laughs> um, but yeah no um they definitely like so dad used to hire me to do all sorts of things so like he'd go oh yeah I'm, I'm doing this um I'm going away to this church today to do a talk on this have you got anything any sketches that that might be suitable mm. and 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 he kind of spurred me on because he forced me to get creative in really silly ways and and a lot of these things, times what what they wanted really was something that was quite funny that had a little bit of a poignant ending, mm, like yeah. something that would kind of hit hit a, hit a little moral home at the end of it, um, like Star Wars, like Star Wars exactly. <laughs> and so I do, you know, I'd come up with these stupid ideas, like one which was ridiculous. Um, he was doing um, a sermon on Judas, which is the guy that betrayed Jesus um, before before he gets put on the cross and all that, and. And I had this idea <laughs> where I, I I can't remember where I got this. Oh yes, it was a present from a from a, from a girlfriend. I had this stuffed, cuddly white gorilla. <laughs> of course you did. Of course I did. <laughs> and it was cute as anything. And I decided that I this gorilla was going to be um, a character in in one of my sketches. So what I did was I got a tape recorder and I wrote this sketch and I recorded all the gorilla's lines on this tape. <laughs> and then when we got to the place, dad would press play on the thing and the gorilla was sat on a stool in the middle of the stage and I'd just walk out. And then this little voice would be like, Oi, over here. And I'd be like, and I'd be like, uh, hello? Hello? And he'd be like, down here. And then I'd kind of look and go, um, hello? Are you talking to me? And he's like, no, it's the other talking gorilla. <laughs> you know, it's the, and, and I did a whole sketch with this. So it, the whole thing was recorded. So I had to get the timing just right. But the whole point was, weirdly enough, what started off as something absolutely stupid turned out the idea was that this gorilla was Judas's conscience. And by the end of a sketch, what started off as something really, really funny ends up with a man kind of essentially having a having a breakdown, basically saying that realizing that what he's done wasn't what he should have done, kind of thing. And it's that kind of you know, and and it was nice because you'd do these silly things, and then you'd finish it, and they'd be like, 
dead silence. Like, you know, you know, you've driven a good point home when you look out the audience <laughs> and they're like, you know, whoa. And, and it was, it was funny. So yeah, so I was really encouraged, but my, you know, my dad and mum, bless them, did that. And then when I got to college, I joined um, a big band. So like a proper jazzy uh, swing band and a, and a, what we, and I co-founded the Exeter College Inspirational Choir with a lady called Laura Wright, which was basically our excuse to do kind of gospely feel-good music. Yeah. And, um, and those two were the two that really set me on my future path because one got me into swing and Sinatra and all that kind of stuff. And the other got me into gospel harmonies and chops and, you know, and performance essentially. Do you know what? It's so lovely to hear that you had kind of like that eclectic musical taste that your dad obviously installed in you at a young age, sort of travelling up the line with you as you were hitting college. And I was going to ask, actually, you know, here you are surrounded by all of this stuff, but it sounds like you were sort of your own sort of unique solo creative. But was there anybody that inspired you at that time? Was there anybody that you looked up to in the performance industries and thought, you know what, they're doing a really smashing job and I'd love to sort of follow in their kind of footsteps? So at that point, it was all, um, the people I really looked up to were, it was it was always from a writing perspective, really funnily enough. Mm. So um, um, so I loved all the classic comedians like Morecambe and Wise, um, <laughs> the two Ronnies, um, all those kind of double acts. Mm. Um, because I loved a, I loved the genius in the writing, but also in the way they delivered them, the way mm. they did their different characters, and that definitely instilled in me. Whenever I performed, I would always put on different accents, and <laughs> you do you know what I mean, and be quite expressive when I was looking around. And I tried like, um, I used to use they, they you know, they did a lot of silly wordplay, which I loved. So like, for example, there's a really silly one in the Jonah sketch I used to do. Um, the Jonah sketch was essentially a narrator telling the story of Jonah and the whale and an actor acting it out who's basically doing everything in his power to disrupt the narrator's flow yeah. and kind of would, you know, <laughs> and, would, and would kind of interrupt the narrator and kind of have a go. And there was a really silly line um, where the story is that, you know, if people don't know Jonah Whale, um, God speaks to this guy and says, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh. Um, Jonah doesn't want to, so he runs away, gets swallowed by a whale, says, I'm really sorry, and then gets spit out and then does what he was meant to do in the first place. Um, so there's a really silly throwaway three lines in that where the narrator says, you know, so Jonah was feeling really sorry for himself in the whale. And, and so the actor goes, all right, I'll go to Nest Cafe. And, <laughs> and then the narrator goes, Nineveh. And I go, whatever. You know, super, super, super silly and very obvious joke. But if you're looking at the people that I was looking up to, that was what that was where the laughs were for me. Mm. So now, I mean, it was that silly kind of slapstick word humour mm. um, that I really, really loved. And that comes, I mean, whenever I go and see you gig or I'm, you know, lucky enough to be gigging with you, that comes across in leaps and bounds. Like you're just so cheerful, funny, charismatic with the audience and instantly that audience feels safe in your hands. And that's a really lovely thing to witness. And, you know, I'm so glad that I, I've had that opportunity. And if anyone's listening out there that hasn't gone to see Adam in any of his various capacities, please, please go and check him out because he's amazing. Um, yeah, so sort of coming back to your music then. So yeah. here you are sketching, poet, poeting, um, being clever with your words, acting quite a lot. What drove you more down the musical route then? So it all kind of happened accidentally. Um, so when I was at college, once again, like I said, I joined this big band and I joined, mm. um, and I joined this choir. And up until that point, 
I'd only ever been part of choirs. Do you know what I mean? So I'd never okay. done solo singing, really. I think I did one when I was like seven or eight, but that was, you know, many, many, many means before. So I didn't actually know if I was a good singer or not. I just knew that I could sing within parts of a choir and that I loved harmony. So um, the big band were doing that year, the way the Exeter College big band used to work is that they do like, when they did their concerts, they do half instrumentals and half vocal numbers with with the big band backing. Mm. And so that year they wanted to do, um, they had an arrangement of Come Fly With Me. And the guy that was running it, a guy called Yo Pew, um, basically- Cool name. That'd be really cool, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, said, you know, all right, we need, so we need someone to sing it. Um, does anyone know the song? And I did. So I went, so I kind of thought, oh, I'll put my hand up. And he went, okay, Adam, out you come. So I, I picked up the mic and they started playing the arrangement and it got to the bit where I came in and I did the classic, you know, come fly with me, let's fly, <laughs> let's fly away. And they're <laughs> such a cool little arrangement. Um, and at two lines in and he stops the whole big band. <laughs> and he turned to me and he said, Adam, and I was like, what? I thought I'd done something wrong. And he's like, you didn't tell me you can actually sing. <laughs> and up until that point, I didn't know that I could. Um, but because of that, he ended up giving me two or three songs that, that year at college. And because of that, then I was more confident when it came to soloists within the choir mm-hmm. as well. That like, um, because I co-ran it as well with this lady, Laura Wright, um, who now works at Exeter Music Academy. Um, she run, runs that place. Um, and it's been actually, she's, she's a lady that's, that's had a big influence on a lot of um, musical people over the years in, in and around Exeter. So I'm just taking a swig of me water. So I, yeah, I started doing more like that. So by the time I left college and went to uni, um, I was used to singing in front of crowds because I don't, you know, the big band did a few and the choir did, did gigs all year round really. Um, but still at that point, I hadn't really thought of music as a career. It's so interesting because, and, and again, I can really relate to this. So as a, as a child, I did all of my drama exams. I was really, really, I was a bit of a Shakespeare geek. I'm not going to lie. Nice, I really love nice. that stuff. Yeah, and, um, and and loved drama and, and had it in my mind that I was going to go to acting school. And actually music was kind of my last choice. Not, not because you know, oh, I hate music, but it was just kind of like the thing that I did alongside everything else that I mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Um, and I, I did manage to get into to acting school, but I turned it down and went to music college. And that was all to do with a boy. <laughs> Girls listening out there, or boys listening, anyone listening out there, don't give up your dreams for a relationship. Aye. All right. Aye. Saying it in Yorkshire accent so that you absolutely understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that happened. And then I ended up going to, to music college in the end. And it was a second choice thing. Not that I would change a thing now because I appreciate the journey, but mm-hmm. it was kind of the, the secondary discipline. And I'm hearing the same thing as you were talking it was kind of the thing that you came to accidentally as opposed to yeah yes that's my dream it was and it, and and it really was like it, it was my secondary thing but the thing is i was also <clears throat> i knew because i love drama so uh, when i was doing my a levels i was studying theater studies and i did film studies and i did you know so it's i was always drawn to that side of things you know mm. like you said the mm. performance kind of a writing thing but when it came to actually choosing like where to go to uni and what to do with a degree I didn't really have a clue. So I I picked five different courses at five different universities. (laughs) 
<laughs> applied for all of them and just decided that when I went round, whichever one felt right vibe-wise is the one I'd go for. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I applied for um, drama degrees. I applied for theatre degrees. I applied, there was one that was a drama and music. Mm. Um, and But the one I ended up doing was drama and creative writing joint degree. Mm. And I went up to, um, a, well, it was part of Manchester Metropolitan University, but it was in a place called Alsager. Um, wow. which it is, sounds like such a magical place. It's really not. It's like, it's, no. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, no, it's not. <laughs> it's a tiny little place. It's really near Crewe, which if you've ever been to oh, Crewe, yes. if you yeah, ever yeah, got yeah. north, you'll go through Crewe by you'll train. You'll go through Crewe. You know, yeah. and so it's literally just, just, um, there and yeah so I went there and it was a very enclosed campus for either it was half and half it was half sports science students and half creatives so it was a really random wow, random mix. A mix yeah wasn't it just <laughs> it, 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 it was an interesting three years but that actually started and kick-started me well my first soiree into actually writing music wow can you remember what the first thing that you wrote was um yeah so um that wasn't the first thing I wrote that wasn't um uh like uh something like an assignment that I'd been given. Like so like mm. I the first thing that I composed was an arrangement <laughs> um when I was at when I was at college and it was a mashup of it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing with the theme tune to James Bond. <laughs> June. Yeah, the theme tune. Oh it my goodness, awful. I so want to hear that. That cat was awful. It was literally, it literally was like, it went, it, went, it was like, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Do out, do out, do it, do it, it was honestly, it was, it, it was so bad. Um, but yeah, no, the first thing I wrote, so when I went to, um, uni um they didn't have a gospel choir or, or like an inspirational choir so i decided to start one but i wasn't because i wasn't studying music um at that the way the uni worked was that the kind of all the music things had to have someone from a music department kind of taken on so i met this girl called laura who was one of the music students and she was wanting to do a choir as well so i basically said well why don't we you know put our heads together and come up with a little choir ourselves and she went okay and then we needed songs for it and I realised that there was, you know, there was a bank of stuff that I kind of learned from the for choir at the college that I could do, but I wanted to do some new stuff as well. So I started writing these little, these little gospel type songs. Um, and then, and then making the choir do them. And there's only, there is only one bit of evidence in existence that these things existed is, and that we did, we did a concert in our third year that I recorded and is on a VHS tape somewhere in my room. <gasps> A VHS yeah. tape. Yeah, but wow. I edited. But I edited, so I had multiple cameras set up, and the oh uni, uni had an editor with Adobe something <laughs> or other. But to this day, I, I obviously I wouldn't. I'm not a techie person, but I someone came and said, "Right, you press, you put your tape in, and you do this, and you do that." And I had to sync them all up and sync up all their all the audio and the visual. It was the weirdest thing, and I spent days and days in the edit studio doing this thing um, and nowadays if I can't do something technologically within five minutes I throw my toys out of the pram and storm out the room so I don't know where that that drive came from but yeah that's the only evidence that of those songs that I wrote 
Wow. Oh, that's kind of good, though. I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're from that era where things got forgotten and on online forevermore, because yes. there there are some uh, some cheesy moments in my childhood yeah. that I definitely wouldn't want out there in the world. But it's good to know that you were so sort of savvy at such a young age. I'm, I'm really interested now, like, about what happens like when you came out of of uni because you kind of like leave that safe space where you think everything's possible and you're immortal and all the rest of it. Yeah. And then you have to land on your feet and try and make a living out of this creative thing. What happened next? So one thing you need to know about me, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the, the irony of me being on a podcast called The Brave Moment when really I ended up as a creative completely accidentally. But um, I'm not a risk taker. I like to be financially stable. Um, <laughs> I very much like to know that month in, month out, I can afford my rent, my food and everything else. And, you know, and then everything else is a bonus. So that's what started. I came out of uni and my first thought was, I need to d- get a job and I need to get a job that gives me the same amount of holiday that my uni gave me because <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not going to be one of these people that only gets five weeks off a year. Not happening. <laughs> Nice, so, nice. <laughs> so I got a job as I realised you could get a job as a support worker, which is essentially like a teacher's assistant mm. and you get all the school holidays. So I was like, this is the best thing ever. And it also gave me time to do a few other things. So um, in the college, back to the college, they had the extra college big band. Um, the singing teacher at the college, a guy called Chris Wilson, um, had a professional big band. That what he'd do is he'd take his favourite students and when these professional big bands did their concerts, he'd say, right, can you come and be the singer for this one? Mm, mm. Um, And I got asked to go along and sing, sing at one of these um, things. And I, and I started to become the regular singer. At first it was me and a girl called Lizzie Parks, who was a phenomenal jazz singer. Um, Definitely check her out if you get the chance. She's she's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And then a girl called Pe- a lady called Penny Smith, and they kind of mentored me in kind of swing performance and you know and how to engage with an audience and stuff. Um, and then off the back of that, I got invited to another professional big band where um, their main singer was off for one. Um, he wasn't able to do one, so they asked me to come in. So I went into this big band where I knew maybe three or four people there. Um, mm. But one of them was a sax player called Neil Mayer, who was depping for another sax player. <laughs> and we did the gig. And at the end of the gig, he came up and he's the loveliest man ever. He sounds a little bit like Mr. Bean, but he's brilliant. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, uh, Adam, um, I run a little swing function band and um, our singer's moving to London. Would you be interested in the slot? And at, literally up until that point, I had never thought about doing function band stuff. Mm. And then, so I said, oh, okay, why not? Let's give it a go. And then that very same week, um, some of my old friends from the gospel choir, the inspirational choir at college, um, basically said, we're thinking about putting together a band. And the Salvation Army that ran holiday camps in the summer Mm. said, we want to do a prom for the kids at the end of a holiday camp. Adam, can you put something musical together? Um, so it all, in the span of one year, I ended up from having no function bands to having two, <laughs> um, which one, which I'm still in today. And, and yeah, and, and that started me off on this singing other people's songs, but getting paid lots of money to do it. And I was like, well, this is great. 
And so for a long period of time, I was doing both these jobs at the same time. So a daytime working with kids, getting them their GCSEs if they failed them the first time around. And then by night, going out and singing either Swing and Soul and Motown or pop and funk and rock and roll with the other band. Mm, mm. Well, I mean, it's obviously held you in good stead because now, I mean, you're in demand for for everything that you do. And and I know that, you know, if you are coming out of a creative degree or a creative college or whatever, the best thing you can do is to start that function man or, or become part of that function man because you can make that money. And and I know that there's a bit of stigma attached, isn't there, in the music industry? Oh, you're, if you're in a function man, it's somehow second rate to an originals band. But from what I've learned through experience, and I'm sure you have as well you can make a very decent living with a function band and then all that extra time that you'd have you know from from not having that nine to five at the end of it all you can use to put towards original projects can't you oh 100 percent. and that was the thing i think um so i once again like i said i i'd never seen myself as an originals artist and really that didn't come until much, much, much later on. In fact, that, you know, the, that we'll, we'll get there. But um, so <laughs> when I started, I was just, yeah, it was like the, the function band stuff was my hobby, but it was a hobby that paid. So I loved it. And the, um, and the, and the college stuff was what I did as my job. And I was like, this is my job and this is my thing. And I'm a, I like singing other people's songs. Um, and then the more I got into that scene and the more people I started to meet, um, in that scene, I met a lot of original singers and songwriters. The more I realised, exactly like you said, most people in that world were kind of original people that were doing the function band stuff to pay the bills and fund their original projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's it's so important to be realistic about what you're doing, isn't it? Because a lot of people think, right, that's it. I'm going to leave college and become famous. And I think that's quite a a big dream uh, that many many creatives have when they're leaving the education system. Yeah. And um and unfortunately, it's not because of a lack of talent. It's probably more to do with time and place and networking. A lot of those incredible musicians, regardless of whether they're doing originals or or covers, yeah, they sort of have to realise that actually the reality of the situation is you've got to work you've got to put in those hours you've got to get out there and perform and let people see you um, before that that can become a reality for you yeah absolutely because it's it's you know we, we live in a world of try before you buy and absolutely, so no one's going to yeah. invest in you until they've heard what you've got to offer yeah um, I agree you know this, and and you see it time and time again with these young and up, up and coming kind of singer songwriters you see the ones that are going to go far instantly mm. and a lot of the time it's to do with like they're talented obviously that you know there is there is there is a level of talent that is needed but i've seen people that have got insane amounts of talent fall by the wayside because mm. they just don't they don't know how to market themselves they don't know how to put themselves out there they don't know how to um you know get those gigs so to speak go out there yeah. and do this stuff whereas the i see others um, a prime example being, I don't know if you've come, have you come across Sadie Haller before? Yes, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So sort of a wonderful Sadie Haller. Um, if you look at her kind of stuff online and all the rest of it, she, when it comes to festival season, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, she's everywhere. She goes out and gets in all those festivals because she knows that that, for, especially for her brand of music, the style of music mm. that she performs, mm. that's where the people that are going to be able to give her opportunities are. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's where, that's where for that style of stuff. And she was born to do this stuff and she's very adept at it, you know. And then she's great online over, over the pandemic. She's been doing lots of online gigs and stuff. And, you know, she's one of many that I've been, you know, enjoying and watching over, over this period. But it is, it's like you said, you've got to have a degree of kind of a bit of savvy a bit of yeah. get up and go. You can't, you can't just sit at home waiting for the phone to ring because it's, it's, <laughs> it's not going to until you're at a certain level, you know. You got to hustle, people. You, you got to hustle. hustle. Yeah. So talking about gigging, can you remember a gig that sort of changed your life where you, where you were on the stage and you thought, oh my goodness, this is what I do for my life. Can you remember that gig and can you describe it to us? I can, I can indeed. Um, so um, I had started um, attending a music venue called Mama Stones. Um, shout out Mama Stones. Shout out Mama Stones. Ah, good, um, good years. And I'd gone there. Um, I was in a function band at the time um, and I'd gone, my friend had, had, had basically dragged me along and said, I think you really like this place. And my first week there, um, a guy called Adam Isaac was on stage with the, with the Mama Stones house band at the time. Uh, amazing, amazing, amazing rock singer, lovely, lovely guy. But I, I went there and I was um, blown away by this band, which <laughs> also included um, a guy called Steve Down on guitar. Yeah, um, who he's just I done think, a podcast actually. Yeah, if you haven't say, already listened he, to it, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Say so, so um, for the wonderful Steve Down from this very podcast. Um, he he was in, and I looked at these guys and I was like, these guys are leaps. I. I didn't think that music could be that good, if that makes sense. Mm. So I'm, I'm watching these guys thinking this, this is, so I, I literally went back to my function band and said, we've got to up our game. And they were, what do you mean? And I, and I kind of said, you need to come and listen to this band. Like it's insane. Like the things that they're doing with these cover songs that it, it honestly. So I kind of over the years slowly kind of crept my way into this particular crew. I got to know all those people. I ended up on the stage doing the stuff with them and and essentially what, what was the Mama Stones house band essentially became my function band now building and the skyscrapers. Mm. And we got hired to do a gig. So that was just saying, I, I got this, this band through, through contacts through that place. But then we did a gig during the rugby world cup, um, <laughs> where in Exeter, they'd set up this massive stage in a place called Northern Hay gardens. Um, and after every match, they'd get a band on. And I remember getting on stage with that band uh, with building them skyscrapers to a crowd, you know, a couple of thousand people there um, singing the songs and the crowd were just putty in my hands. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> whatever I told them to do, they did. Do you know what I mean? Um, they were just, if I'd asked them to jump, if I asked them to kind of shout something out, if I asked them to, and I realised I was having the best time ever. <laughs> and I looked around and I was like, and these are some of my closest friends I'm sharing a stage with. We're having a laugh. Everyone's having a good time. And I, I just remember thinking, I, I could, I could do, I could do just this, you know. Do you mm. know what I mean? This, this could be it. If I, if I can find a way that I, Mister, don't take risks, um, <laughs> is comfortable taking the leap. Um, and that's the day I decided to work towards the goal of becoming full-time musician and nothing else. I'm, and, you know, I'm so pleased that you did because I think at that time um, I just met you. I was starting to get to know the Mama, Mama Stones crew and I can remember yeah. seeing you perform for the first time and thinking to myself, man, this guy is going to go far. 
and and if he doesn't, I'll kick him up the butt because he's <laughs> just so good. So what happened next? Did you did you leave your job and concentrate purely on music, or was it kind of a staged, phased out thing? So it was a phased out thing, but it was a very planned phased out thing. So at that point, what? I took a decision that I was going to. And this, once again, like I said, I am not a risk taker, so I needed a plan. And it was, and it was literally pure for my own mental health that um, I'm a panicker. So if I'm in a place where I don't feel comfortable, like like financially, whatever, I panic. And I don't, it's not like I'm going out and having panic attacks. But what I realized was there was one other time when I came out of uni when I was in a little bit of debt. And mm. it took me for, until I went to see my bank and say, and it wasn't a large debt. It was maybe like one and a half grand, I think. Mm. Um, but for months with what I was earning at, at the high school at the time that I was working for, I'd only be able to pay off the interest on the credit card and and the interest on the um, the overdraft. And I eventually went to a bank and said, is there anything I can do about this? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Take out this loan with us. Um, we'll pay off, use it to pay off all that debt. So wipe, get, wipe your credit card debt, wipe your overdraft, set your overdraft then to, you know, like bring it, bring it, bring it back in, rein it in, and then um, pay X amount per month. And and then if you have a good month, you can pay a bit more. Um, and I was like, okay, let's do that. And I did. And within mm. a couple of years, I was debt free. What I didn't realize at the time was the effect that just that small amount of debt was having on my mental health. Mm. And the day that it was done, the day that I was debt free, and you know, this was, like I said, it was a small amount of time, relatively speaking. I came out of uni in 2004 and I was debt-free by 2007, I think. Which is, I mean, that's an incredible feat for anybody coming out of uni to to be debt-free within just such a few years because every artist experiences this. Mm. You know, that phase of being a penniless artist is very, very real, yeah. isn't it? Because you're constantly having to, like you said, up your game, invest in equipment, invest in microphones, invest in this thing, then pay your rent, then pay your bills, then pay your council tax. And it's overwhelming, isn't it? So I can understand from a mental health perspective how that must have really relieved your mind and giving you that access to a bit more of a limitless feel with your music yeah and it really did and so from that point on I remember feeling it and that was basically when I said right you know and I basically made a decision that I'm never gonna get into or you know as or do everything in my power to avoid being in any kind of real debt so jump forward to when the decision's made that I decide I, I go right I need to get I want to get to being a full-time musician how can I do that so in my head I was like right I need to have X amount in savings so that if something goes wrong, I've got enough time and and finance to then get another job and blah, 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 sort myself out. So, and then I thought, but well, I need to give more time to my music. So what I did was I did a phase leaving of Exeter College where at that point I was doing cover teaching as well as, um, as well as support work. So first thing I did was I dropped for support work completely and went just to doing the cover teaching. And then I brought the hours down of the cover teaching until it was only, I was only doing eight hours a week. And then the final push then I was like, right, okay. I I and while this was going on, the function gigs were getting more and more and more. So it was like this scale as, as my work hours went down in one, they were going up in the other. So I needed to do it. Otherwise I'd have been doing two full-time jobs essentially. 
Um, yeah, and and also when you're when you're putting your energy into something and your attention into something, that's where everything flows to, and and you kind of almost have like magnet effect, isn't it? Because you just you're plowing everything into this one thing, and it's becoming more precious, and therefore it starts working for you. Yeah, and 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 that was it, and it really was, you know, and we and like you said, you know, our our function band is, is certainly within the southwest, uh, well regarded and popular, like, like yours. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we're lucky, we're both lucky enough to be in function bands actually when you mention their names certainly in our areas mm. most people have heard of us do you know what i mean it's not, and that's nice to know because it means and the good thing about being a wedding band is people are always getting married so exactly. it's almost like an yeah. endless resource of people that are wanting your time and you know and and so I, yeah i kind of started prioritizing bits and bobs with that and eventually i got to the stage where i'm like right i'm earning enough now i could survive purely on this on this music wage so I cut the college completely um, and then began, and that, this was only three, three and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but from that started a real, real exciting kind of new chapter in my musical life. How did it feel when you worked your last day at the college and you knew that the next day was a complete blank page? Um, it was lush. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, it was, it, what did you do? What did you do when you woke up in the morning? What happened on that day where uh, you had nothing than your music? Well, I did the same thing that I do every morning cat, which is I'm not a morning person. So when I, when I wake <laughs> up, I look like a walking corpse. Um, <laughs> and until I've gone down and had my, you know, had my shower and wiped the gunk from my eyes and done everything. <laughs> I, you know, I, I used to say to my students, if basically I was like, if you've got me first period, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, if you get me second, you get in my A game. But if you got me first period, I'm still sli- I'm still waking up. Um, but um, I, yeah, I went into work. No, obviously, knowing it was the last day, so I was a bit, you know, I knew that there were a lot of goodbyes to do and stuff. Um, um, but luckily, my department, my boss was a lady called um, Katie Fry, um, who was an absolute wonderful line manager. Like, she was amazing. I, I was quite nervous when I told, you know, when I said all these little steps that I was taking. Um, but the day I sat her down and said, look, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about kind of, you know, going full time with the music. And she turned around and said, I was expecting this conversation two years ago, you know? <laughs> and she's like, you absolutely should be doing that. I can't believe you're not already doing that. How can I help you get there? You know, she was that kind of person. She's a person that, you know, although she was my line manager, she was interested in my well being. Um, and so, yeah, so they, the, the department all got together and, you know, they, they gave me loads of prezzies and stuff, which was really, really lovely. Gave me a little scrapbook of memories. And so, you know, I'm, I may, may have got a bit teary, cat. may have got a bit teary, um, which anyone who knows, like, I, I get teary a lot. I, I, I cried in Shrek too, for goodness sake. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker. You know, yeah. you, put, you put an emotional moment with some nice music behind it. And I'm I'm done. I'm a wreck. I think that's a creative's curse as well, though, because you're just in it, aren't you? You're just in those moments. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, you just go, yeah. Um, but yeah, but then from that point on, I was like, right, okay, now what? <laughs> <laughs> did you kind of like wander around in your room for the whole day? Because that's what I did. I was sort of like, oh, okay, I've given up everything that I know. What am I going to do? And I, I can remember that first day of thinking, oh my goodness. This is this is what I can do with my time now. And on that first day, I did nothing. I was like, yes. I just wasted eight hours of time doing nothing that I, in, you know, intended to do. Absolutely, I, I, I'm with you 100. percent And unfortunately, I'm with you a bit too much because 
once again, the irony being that this is a moment called that brave moment that you step out into these things. I am the worst procrastinator in the history of mankind. But you're, like, are you a kind of like fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy? As in, if something needs to be getting done, then you leave it till like the very, very last minute and then you do it and it's amazing anyway. Well, Yes, so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the day that train derails. Do you know what I mean? But I'm very much, it's really funny. I'm, I've realised that I'm absolutely rubbish at motivating myself to do something, <laughs> but I'm very, very good if someone else has told me to do something. So literally last night, Richard James, um, another singer-songwriter. Shout out Richard in, James. Shout out Richard James. Whoop, whoop. He's been singer-songwriting for a long, long time now because, you know, he's getting old. And, uh, <laughs> Um, he literally sent me a voice note challenge saying, right, you're going to do um, some loop videos one a week over the whole of Lent. Um, I feel I need to do this for you because I'm getting a bit worried because there hasn't been a TV show I've asked you if you've seen in the last 12 months, but your instant answer wasn't yes, sorry, it was great. <laughs> That's a and sign of a good friend, by the way. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? And it was really funny because he was sending it as a voice note. So it was like, and I know this might make you, it was being really funny. It's like, you know, you know, when you, your parents trying to cushion the blow of bad news kind of thing. He was literally going, I know, I know this might be not what you want to hear and you might get a bit defensive upon hearing it. But Adam, I'm worried that in the last year, all you've done is watch telly. <laughs> Did you respond with, it's research for my screenplay? Because that's yeah, yeah. how I would have responded. <laughs> well, it was very fun. He, he, he literally said, you know, you can prove me wrong. Feel free to send me one back and tell me all the other things that you've done. Um, and I did. I did as well. But I, but I said, I, I, I kind of said, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I've not been as productive as I could be. However, and then I read off a few, a few productive things that did happen during that period. But yes, um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm very good when I'm giving, given something to do, given a challenge. Mm. Someone says, you know, do, you do this and you've got this amount of time. I'm great at that. Um, me doing it myself uh, is, is, yeah, I'm, I'm very good at getting distracted. How do you motivate yourself then? So I find that because I know that my motivation, the bet where it works best is when it's coming from other people. I surround myself by those people, <laughs> by creatives that are constantly coming up with ideas. And I'm, you know, I'm now, well, I suppose we kind of are here now. Yeah. So I've now, I'd never seen myself as an original songwriter. Mm. I'd seen myself as a function band singer. And I was very, very happy with that. Um, until me, Richard James, and another wonderful guy called Lee Coleman. Oh, um, massive shout out to Lee Coleman. One of yes. the most talented people on this planet. Honestly, his his voice, he's he's the voice listeners that other singers want to be. He is melted like, chocolate, isn't he? That, yeah, that he really literally is. is it. Um, Richard was filming a yeah. music video for a song that he'd done. Um, he wanted to do a live version of it. Um, and it was a song called Undone, which was this beautiful slow ballad that he'd written. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, now I've done a version for the EP, but I want I want a video to go with it. And I want I want some really nice, tasty backing vocals. Um, so he asked me and Lee um, to go with him. And we went to this um, little this little church um, in Exeter called St. Matt's because it has really nice, you know, those beautiful churchy acoustics. And he wanted it to be done like, like literally we're just all three of us. He's got the guitar. We're like stood in a little triangle and just, you know, singing this beautiful song. 
So we did it and the harmonies were delightful and mm. we had the best time doing it. And at the end of it, Rich was really, really chuffed with how it all came out, but he said, we should absolutely do this more often. And out of the back of that, um, our originals trio Club Brothers was born. Um, and which was my first soiree really into the creative, musical creative process where Rich was the songwriter. So he'd come up with the ideas, but then he'd go, right, this is the idea. What can we do with that? And then me and Lee had come in and really help kind of dash out the arrangements, for syn- you know, the syncopation, where the harmony should go. Um, and to me, that stirred something in me that I'd not really been stirred probably not since my creative writing days. Mm, mm. Do you know what I mean? It stirred something in me where I'm like, oh, I'm I'm contributing to a process for something that when it goes out, that's that's ours. And it's something you can be so proud of, especially when you're collaborating with other people and you get to share that joy with with your friends. And and I know that a lot of people will want to maybe from an egotistical point of view or maybe just from a an introvert point of view want to create on their own and feel like they'd be too scared to share that pro- that process with other people in case something got diluted in some way but actually like you're describing now uh it's something that I love to sort of personally relate to you feel invigorated and galvanized don't you by just creating with other human beings, that, that human connection. Oh my goodness, there's something so special and miraculous that comes out of it. And and the Club Brothers, you know, your absolute testament to what can be achieved. And and yeah, it's it's lovely. I love it. I, I, you're absolutely spot on. It really does. It's and like the way my life has gone, it really enough has forced me into this position as well. It's almost like someone up there knew that I was going to be the worst procrastinator in the history of mankind. <laughs> So because I can't play guitar, I, I don't I can't I don't play keyboard. You know, the only instrument I ever learned was a brass instrument that only works in a brass band. <laughs> so if I'm to come up with things creatively, musically, I need help. I can't mm. rely on just me on my own. I have to get others. But that's great because that's where I work best. Mm. So at the moment, I'm writing a single with co-writing a single with an amazing pianist called Matt Carter. Oh, um, Matt Carter. What a legend. I know. Absolutely <laughs> lovely. Once again, lovely man, incredible talent. Mm. Um, um, so I, I had an idea for a melody um, that I wanted to get down and I um, bless him. They work well with, with me because I'm, I've got a very good ear as in, I, I know what I want. I can hear harmonies, I pick, cluck them out of the air, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Relaying that is, is a completely different story. So I go to Matt, right, this is the melody and this is where it is. I need some chords to go with it. <laughs> and he goes, how about this one? I go, no, not that one. That's not the one in my head. And he goes, that one? No, not that one. That's the, and that, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> And I'm blessed, you know, most people would be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but so I'm doing that with him. There's a, um, a swing singer from Western, a guy called Marvin Monike, who's an amazing singer. Um, we're doing two singles, one that he's written, a big band single that, that I'm just the singer on, and then a duet that we're going to be releasing next Christmas. Um, and and it's, it's kind of sparked this thing in me in that, yes, when I've got other people, I'm great at kind of going, right, let's work together on this, let's do this, let's do that, and all the other. If I'm left to my own devices, I'm not as good. But this is the itch that I'm going to be scratching over Lent with Rich's little challenge, mm. and Malupa, trying trying to create 
um, li- just little, you know, little one minute videos of songs with harmony that I've just created completely with my voice. Do you know, I'm going to so look forward to listening and seeing what you what you come up with because I always enjoy when you do your little sessions and all the rest of it. So I'm glad Richard James has given you a massive kick up the backside because I think the world yeah. will be better for it. <laughs> it is, it's a funny one, isn't it? And I've realised that I've accidentally kind of done it to myself mm. over the years as well. Like you said, you just... Um, so, you know, um, for, for the listeners at home... Um, when I did, well, basically when I went, pretty much, this is when the guest list started. When I went full-time musician, I decided that I needed to do something that would get me in contact with lots of different musicians and to help me kind of get ideas for, for basically how to, how to kind of better myself and all the rest of it. So I started something called Adam in the Hat's guest list, where I'd invite a singer or a songwriter or whatever in every week. They'd come to my house and we'd, they'd pick a song it was always their dealer's choice. We'd find a fun way to do that song. We'd record it and we'd put it online. Um, and this was back in the day when Facebook algorithms wouldn't take down cover videos. Um, yeah, and got guest after guest after guest on, which was wonderful. And then eventually um, I realised that I'm not a technical sound mixer and actually it would be good if I, if I could get someone to mix them for me. Mm. And then a wonderful sound engineer called Chris Tilk got involved. I love that man. In fact, I I really want to get him on the show because he is one of my favourite people in the world when it comes to all of that kind of stuff. He's, about him, he's and just talk about genius. motivated as well. Oh this is goodness, a man who yeah. motivates yeah. himself. Like, oh, if I, had, if I had his drive cat, I'd be flipping world famous by now. <laughs> you and me but, both, friend. <laughs> yeah, just. Um, so, yeah, so bless him. So, although they don't, obviously, they don't happen at all at the moment because of the pandemic, but when they do happen, they happen slightly less often because Obviously, you know, I, I'm hiring someone in to do a job, so I need to make sure that I've got the dollar to pay that person. <laughs> but it means that they all sound a lot nicer and crisper and all the rest of it. But off the back of that, it meant that I made, made a lot more connections and ended up doing a lot more kind of gigs with people that I wouldn't gig normally with and like do a lot of co- collaborative writing mm. stuff. So, yeah, it's it's definitely I've accidentally given myself a kick up the bum as well without really realising it. <laughs> I love it. I love hearing you talk so um, positively and so enthusiastically about where you are now, because, you know, a lot of musicians, sometimes they'll start off with all the vibrancy, which you're exuding from every pore. And as life sort of beats them down, (laughs) they give up on their dreams and they, they just fall by the wayside. So it's absolutely wonderful to hear a success story uh, and see someone who's just going from strength to strength to strength. Um, Bless you. We're coming to the end of the interview and I'm so, so sad. I think we're definitely going to have to do a part two at some point if you're okay with that. Always. Um, You know me, I love talking. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) I hadn't noticed. No, not at all. (laughs) I'm practically a mute. (laughs) So obviously it's called the brave moment. What do you consider one of your bravest moments? And obviously I know this is a retrospective look at, at where you've come from and, and what you've got had to go through, but be it physically, spiritually, or mentally, what do you consider that brave moment? Um, interesting. Uh, so I think from a, from a, from a kind of personal and practical point of view, the fact that I, like I said, I am genuinely fearful of risk taking. I'm not a natural risk taker. Um, the brave moment to actually cut the cords of what was my financial um, 
kind of bungee cord, you know, the, the, the guaranteed income every month, no matter what, of the college. From a personal point of view, that was my brave moment because that's not something that was natural. I would have naturally done. Mm. I had to kind of make the plan and force myself to do it. Um, from a performance kind of point of view, I'd say the bravest moment, my bravest moment was a long time ago, I think, really, um, was when I was asked, and I completely forgot about this, literally until you've asked this question. Once again, it was for a big um, conference run by the Salvation Army. Um, I got asked to write a series of sketches for this thing. And what I ended up doing was writing a mini musical, um, <laughs> but using famous songs and changing the lyrics. <laughs> And, and that wasn't the brave part that I was putting something out there that, you know, that I'd written myself. I was doing that all the time. But that particular thing was in front of a crowd of about 12,000 people. Wow. Which at that point in my life, I was only 17, 16, 17 at that point, um, was something that I, you know, was, was insane to me, you know, and doing this, doing this thing. So to me, stepping out onto that stage and putting myself out there and putting something that I'd created out there to that bigger crowd um, was probably the bravest thing as a creative I've ever done. And that actually spurred me on then to do many more things like that in front of big crowds, which nowadays, although they could be seen as brave moments, because I kind of know how they tend to go, they're more like my excited moments, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, I step out on the stage and go, the, instead of going, oh my gosh, this, this massive audience is looking at me, I step out and go, this audience is mine. <laughs> 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 I will mold you. You will be my playthings. <laughs> And I've seen that happen. They totally are. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a fun thing. One, one day they'll turn on me, cat, and that'll be it. My, my career will be done. But until that day, you're all putty in my hands. Hear me? Putty. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've so enjoyed talking to you today. It's been utterly insane as usual. But just, well, we try our best. You know, you're just such a massive inspiration, not only to me personally, but, you know, to everyone that meets you, just infectious in every possible positive good way. Um, so to end this interview today, I'd like to do a quick fire question round with you, Adam Moran. Boom! I love a quick fire question. I know you do because you do actually every week have a quiz show don't you online i do while the quick pandemic's plug, been plug. going on yeah well <laughs> so while the pandemic's been going on i wanted to do something for people um that may be stuck at home and unable to get out during like the shielders and stuff so i started on my adam in the hat facebook page every tuesday night from eight till nine i run a completely free online quiz and it just lasts for an hour it's a bit of fun like people mark themselves you know what i mean it's it, and it's just it's just a chance for some people to you know, if, if, if they're bored and if they're fed up, just to log on and have a bit bit of a something to take. I, I started it in my first lockdown. So I've done three, you know, one for every lockdown. So this is season three that's going on at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and it involves a lot of questions and answers. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to give you this quick fire question round. Are you okay. ready? I, I, I hope my answers are as quick as your questions. Yes, here we go. Okay, deep <laughs> breath. One of your musical heroes. Stevie Wonder. Song you have to sing along to when you hear it. The Friends theme tune. <laughs> Best friend at school. Um, Andy Aston. Favourite motivational song. 
Oh gosh. Um. Oh. Uh, um. What's ah na 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 na? It's all in me. That's, all, that's about a woman. Isn't it? I'm every woman. I'm every woman. There you go. You are. <laughs> Epic fail. Well, my, my answer to that previous question. Last thing you played. Um, a video game. <laughs> Which um, was? It's called Control. Um, it, it came through of my PlayStation Plus and it was very good. It's, it's a mind-bendy game. It's really cool. If you could have any other talent in the world, what would it be? Ventriloquist. Favourite book? Um, it's a graphic novel um, and it's, it's called Injustice and it's written by a guy called Tom Taylor. It's very, very good. <laughs> Favourite film? I know this one will be hard. Uh, no, no, it's easy. Stand by me. Oh, good choice. Favourite trait in human beings? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, honesty. Although sense of humour comes very close second. Worst trait in human beings? Dishonesty. Favourite self-attribute? Oh, gosh, my beard. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. Um, Favourite self-attribute? Um, I like, I, I think I'm, I'm a cheery person, so I, li- I like my cheerful and the effect that that has on other people. <laughs> Worst self-attribute? Um, I'm lazy, clinically lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I am. To <laughs> your coffee? Um, neither, I hate hot drinks. Oh, what would you have instead? Coca-Cola oh, is my Coca-Cola. addiction. Oh, I'm giving it up. Well, trying to give it up for Lent and it's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite country that you visited, of course? Um, Prague. Oh, nice. What makes you laugh? You. <laughs> I think that goes both ways without saying. <laughs> annoying habit. Oh, annoying habit. Oh, harmonising with everything. Oh my goodness. Um, I share that annoying habit, by the way. It's, it's yeah, awful, I get told it? off a lot when I'm on car journeys. <laughs> and the worst thing is, is that even though you've been told off, you can't help but continue to do it because you it's have true. to get to the end of the song because else it's not complete on an OCD so level. True. Do you- <laughs> Do you do it with, do you do it with like ambulances and police cars yes. and silence? <laughs> Me too. I, I do it with Tim's, he's got um an, an indicator sound that go like, not an indicator, sorry, when your, um, when your seatbelt isn't plugged in to the car yeah. and it goes ding, 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 and they go ding, yes. ding, ding. ding. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, it winds everyone else up, but you it's just love it. Does. Yeah, me, yeah, um, I'm with you. Favourite animal? Um, oh, do you know what? Used to be cat. Now it's a dog. <laughs> I love that. There's only two choices. Well, um, I mean, llama's pretty cool as well because we're in prison. New groove. I mean, I, sh- I should have really said llama. I should have really said llama. I'll allow you to change it. Um, Emperor's New Groove, best film ever. You should all watch it anyway. Carry on. <laughs> Favorite food? Chicken dippers. <laughs> I, lo- I just love chicken dippers. They just work in everything. Work in a sandwich. They work on a plate with chips. They just, apart from like, because if it, if it was favourite like meal, it would be the Sunday roast. But favourite food, it has to be chicken dippers. I'll take your word for it, being that Thanks. I don't eat chicken. Oh yeah. Wait, they do, they do veggie ones now, vegan Do they? Oh, yeah? okay. I have to check them out. Um, <laughs> a weird thing that you do... Oh gosh, well, what do I do that isn't weird, Kat? That's very uh, true. <laughs> but I mean like gross weird. <laughs> oh, gross weird. Um, what do I do that's gross weird? I pick my nose when no one's looking. That's <laughs> but do you eat it? <laughs> no. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
was trained out of it at a young age. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, zombie apocalypse, what's your weapon? Weapon of choice? Yes. Oh, a didgeridoo. <laughs> Why? Because, because, right? You know when you see like the people with those bow sticks, you know, the really long wooden sticks? Mm-hmm. And they're really, well, it's like that, but thicker. So it's got more heft to it. So it's going to it's gonna smash a zombie head in more. And, you know, if I'm trying to distract, if I'm doing the sacrificial thing where I lead them away so everyone else can escape, I can play it and it'll attract them. You know, it'll be, it'll be cool. And I actually own a didgeridoo, so that's... Well, fair, fair play. I can't argue with that. Thanks um, very much. Favourite old school instrument that you never hear anymore? Harpsichord. Ooh, nice. And finally, yeah. the best piece of advice you have ever received. Oh, gosh. This is going to sound so cliche because um, it delves back to my kind of kind of Christian upbringing. But I just think it's the, it's the classic love, love one another's love one another as I have loved you. The idea is that, you know, you treat everyone else exact the way, the way you'd like to be treated, I think, is the most simple, profound, but best bit of advice anyone could ever applied to their life. I love it. Okay, so I have one more question for you and I think it will probably sort of lead on very nicely from that last answer. But okay. what advice would you give to the world right now? Oh gosh. Okay, so yeah, I I'd, I'd say that you know it's 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 that classic it's you know it's um the, it's always darkest before the dawn, isn't it? But but dawn's always coming. Do you know what I mean? That's what that's what I'd say. I'd say the world is in a very odd place and I think we've all been through a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but if we take, yeah, if we take the advice just to kind of be be the light for other people and then hopefully other people will be the light for us and we'll all shine on. And then eventually and hopefully sooner rather than later, um, life, life will return back to some semblance of normality. We can start making music again and bring the party. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, my... Yeah, my kind of my advice would be essentially just to try, kind of, although it might not feel like it, try and find try and find the good in every day. Oh, I think you that's know, a wonderful, yeah. wonderful way to end this awesome podcast. I've so so enjoyed it, Adam Moran. You Me too. linking legend. So, if people have been inspired by what you've been saying and they want to check you out online and stalk you a little bit, what are your social handles? So all it's all at Adam in the Hat. So Facebook. Adam, slash Adam in the hat, um, Instagram, Adam in the hat, Twitter, Adam in the hat, um, all one word on all, all three of those things. Um, and then if they want to, that, that will take them through to, you know, my, my, my kind of social medias, but also if they want to check out the club brother stuff at club brothers music as well, that's the, uh, the only original project I'm in at the moment that that is out there for other people to hear, but there is more coming very, very soon. Thank you so much, Adam, for giving up your time today. It's been so much fun. Absolute pleasure. (laughs) Adam's reputation precedes him. From his sunny disposition to his incredible ability to turn his hand to anything and do a great job, people not only invest their time into all that he does because they know they are going to have a great time, but also their trust. What you see is what you get with Adam. What a great way to represent yourself. I have never heard a bad word spoken against him or by him, and even on down days, Adam always seems to find the positive. I know that if I'm feeling a little low, Adam is the one that I would want to go and see. 
Just as some cultivate misery, Adam cultivates kindness, and as you can hear, it's infectious. His sense of humour, charisma, his ability to laugh at himself and his bright mind really allow him to perform in a way where everyone feels welcome in his company. This is rare indeed, but it is something we can learn from. Adam chooses positive. Adam chooses to see the world in a beautiful way and he chooses to surround himself with people that will bring out the best in him and who allow him to be vulnerable and honest with himself. This is an incredibly self-aware act for a creative person. The biggest challenge that I often see in my clients is the ability to let go and be vulnerable. To let your guard down and really let people see you is tough at the best of times, what with social media and societal pressures, but the art that ends up making an impact seems to come from those that allow people into their personal space. Artists that are there to tell a story that's bigger than their talent, bigger than their judgment of their skill set, and bigger than the potential criticism that may occur as a result. So many of us go into a project with fear of the result before we even begin. We think about what others may think of us, what people will say, or worry about how people will judge our ability, which doesn't give us a great foundation to be completely and unashamedly free with our creativity. Try this exercise. Get a blank piece of paper and a pen. Now, if you have a garden or a nice place to go into nature, this works really well outside. If not, find a space in the house where you won't be disturbed for at least 10 minutes. First of all, close your eyes and take a deep, cleansing breath in and out. Let go within the body and just listen for a moment. Open your eyes. And on one side of the piece of paper, write down what you can hear, such as birdsong, loud cars, people talking, your own breath, etc. Once you feel you are at a natural end to that process, close your eyes again and write down how these sounds make you feel. Do they relax you? Make you feel tense? Make you feel fizzy, electric, melted, alert? Feel your body reacting to the sounds and see if you can describe that feeling. Again, once you feel at a natural standstill, open your eyes. Now turn the page over. With these feelings and thoughts in mind, look at your surroundings. Pick one thing or area to focus on. Now, without trying to look down at the page, start sketching what you can see. Don't look down. Try and let go of the notion that you need to control the outcome or that it has to look a certain way. Keep observing the surroundings or object and let your instinct within your hands draw instead of your eyes interpretation. Perform this exercise for as long as you want. When you're done, look down. What do you see? If you haven't been looking at the paper, your eyes will hopefully come across a chaos of lines and scribbles that represent how you felt and what you saw in the moment without anything obvious. Now see what you can find within what's in front of you. Maybe you recognise a part of the tree or chair you were drawing because you remember what it felt like to make the mark on the paper. If you like, you can go back into that part of the drawing and start adding detail to that section and make it stand out. Then, take the sounds and feelings that you've written down on the back of the page and add them into this drawing representation. You may want to put them in a different colour or draw them with a flourish. 
At the end of the exercise, what you will have is a captured moment of something free and truly observed. It may look like a hot mess in your mind's eye, but you have created something that instead speaks to your heart and the illogical, free-spirited, feeling and creative part of the brain. And the more you practice the art of letting go, the more you'll understand how vulnerability within art works. If you want to take this observation a little further, be brave and show someone and ask what they can see in the picture without giving them a clue as to what you saw. This is a fun way to invite people into your vulnerability and also to show that you can put something out into the world that may not look perfect, but perfectly captures a moment that you were engaged with. If you want to take this a little further again, I recommend checking out Trisha Stubberfield's work on social media. She runs a class once a month called Drawing Board, which invites people of all artistic levels to take part in free flow art exercises just like this one. It's really good fun and a great way to feel safe yet vulnerable at the same time. We also learn from Azim that taking responsibility for our dream is imperative to its long-term success. Adam took control of his finances from the get-go so that he had the freedom to invest his time into his performance career and he's right to say that this is a brave moment for anyone in fact. This is actually something that took me a long time to learn and I wish I'd learned it sooner. I was a very impulsive shopper in my youth and as a consequence I wasted a lot of money on things that now, looking back on, I don't even own anymore. What I didn't realise is that I was avoiding responsibility. When it started damaging my relationships, I realised that this lack of responsibility was the reason that I was failing myself emotionally. I was in a constant state of anxiety, and behind the scenes I had to frequently ask people for financial help, which filled me with a lot of shame and embarrassment. And so, to make myself feel better... I would spend money I hadn't got again. I so wanted people to look at me and think I had it all together, but I didn't realise just how much I was damaging my own self-esteem in the process. I was also living in London at the time, and a certain lifestyle and networking comes with that. One evening out in a bar with friends, and you could easily spend a few hundred pounds with nothing to show for it at the end. Debt is a vicious cycle that keeps you in permanent creative lockdown. And even though the spending part seems like a lot of fun at the time, it really isn't worth the anxiety it gives you when reality steps in. If you're fresh out of education, be realistic about what you can afford and be honest with your friends about what you can spend with them. Try not to be tempted into loans or credit cards and sit down with an advisor or loved one that you trust. And again, embrace your vulnerability and look honestly at your finances. Come up with a plan going forward and make that part of your plan for the success of your creative art. If you want a career in the arts, you have to plan for it like any other business. Trust me on this one and you could save yourself a decade of extra time and less worry. Also, hanging out with your good friends can mean just that without spending anything. Check out podcasts such as the Meaningful Money podcast. This is a great place to start and with a little discipline you will have a lot more freedom to do the things that mean something to you in the long run. If you can let go in your art, save up for the things that matter 
and as a result create more time for your dream, then you are on your way to making your mark on the world. And if, like Adam, you can do it while spreading joy and making everyone feel happy in your company, then success will follow you. If you dedicate your energy to your art, your art will repay you and you'll find the avenues that will support your process. Focused work, intention and motivation, no matter how you choose to get it, will result in good goal achievement. And that's a fact. As Dave Ramsey once said, If you will make the sacrifices now that most people aren't willing to make, later on you'll be able to live as those folks will never be able to live. Remember, life isn't about possession. That doesn't signify your success. It's about creating experience. When you invest in free time, you can truly dare to be brave with it. Now stop whatever you're doing, grab a cup of something comforting and listen to the new single Stay from the Club Brothers EP, Drifting. Enjoy. See, I'm on time to be impressed She's walking in in that dress now I'm thinking I'm in too deep already She's just perfect without makeup She's sitting on a teacup And everything around me's feeling right Cause now she's got me by the hand And got me by the heart And tells me what she wants Stay, yeah you'll stay I can see you 
Next week on the show, we speak to LGBTQ plus poet and comedian Robert Garnham, who takes us through his experiences working the famous Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. If you have a spare moment now, please like, subscribe and tell me your thoughts in a review on Apple Podcasts, which will really help other people like yourself to find the show. Of course, you can also share the show with your friends by following us at The Brave Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube or on Twitter at Moment Brave or just follow the link tree on all of our social media platforms. It's been so wonderful to have you all here with me again. Please get in touch with your own stories and remember, your brave moment starts now. Bye.